If you want to, you can take your Bibles, phones, iPads to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I've wrote on the top of my my journal here is it's our heart that moves you. It's our heart that moves him because he already has a heart for us. But in return we have to have a heart for him. Because without a heart for him, he's doing all he can do, but he can't do it. He can't move until you allow him to move. So why do we let people sometimes get in the way of our mindset and our heart of to worship God? Why do we allow the enemy sometimes to, you know you need something, and you know you need God, and you know you need a word from God, and you know you need a refreshing, and you need the reign of God, but you allow the circumstances and the things and people to take that and rob you from that. Because you've heard me say it, it's not going to be anybody standing before the Lord except you and Him. That's it. So don't let people or circumstances rob you from having a heart and a posture of worship towards God. In John chapter 11, it says in verse 1, Now a certain man. I can stop right there and I can tell you this morning that God knows each and every one of you. There's not by accident or happenstance or anything like that that you are here not for you are here today. It's not by an accident that you were born. Don't let anybody tell you that you were an accident. I don't care where you come from, what kind of family you come out of, what kind of mother and daddy you had, or anything like that. You are not an accident. You was planned by the very plan of God himself for you to come and be conceived and come into this world. So there's a certain man, there's certain people, there's people. That certain person is you this morning. Jesus said there was a certain man, or, or John chapter 11 here, that was sick. Sick, the Greek word for sickness here means feeble in any sense. Diseased, it means without strength, it means impotent, it means sick, and it means weak. So we look at John chapter 11 as it's talking about this certain man who is sick. And this certain man just happens to be Lazarus. So I'm telling you this morning that he says there's a certain man, and then he names that certain man. So that tells me, like I said, he knows who the certain person is and who you are this morning. He knows your name. But he's sitting here and he's dealing with a certain person with a sickness. And we think of when we hear the story of Lazarus, the sickness, all, all our mindset always goes to death. Death, because we know Lazarus in the end, because of this sickness, dies. But the Greek word for sickness here and right here is not, don't mean death. It means, it could mean without strength, it could mean impotent, it could mean sick, weak, diseased, or feeble. So here we have a person, Lazarus, that is not a sickness, and we'll figure this out in just a minute, that's not unto death, but it's a sickness of weakness, without strength, feeble, disease. It could be any of those things. But So sickness covers a whole bunch of things. So what am I telling you this morning? This, I'm telling you there's certain people in this place that God knows your name this morning that are sick. And you say, Pastor, I'm not physically sick. Well, the Greek word here don't mean physically sick. It can mean you're, you're without strength. You're weary. You've been beat down. You have circumstances in your life. There are things that's come along that have made you sick. Is what he is saying here. And there's people in here today that are no doubt are sick. 
that need a strength, a need God's reign, need some refreshing in your life. And God knows your name. The thing about Lazarus' name is it means whom God helps. His name means whom God helps. So we can read this context of the very first scripture in John chapter 11. And we can see there's a certain man that is sick, but it already don't mean until death. And his name means God is help. We could stop right there if we really knew who we were talking about and say this man is not going to die because God is going to help him. So I'm here to tell somebody this morning that this certain person and the certain thing that you're facing, that God is helping in your life that it is not unto death for you this morning it's not intended for death but what we allow and how we allow this sickness to keep infecting and infiltrating our life will depend on our very life but if you really knew God is help if you really stood on the word of who Jehovah Jireh is this morning, you would know that he is your provider. So the thing that you are going through this morning is not meant to kill you. Even though you may be weak and without strength, even though you may be weary, I'm here to tell you this morning that the Lord's help is on your side. He has a new name for you. So now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. I got to looking at this. And it's very why in the second verse he talks about Mary. And what she done for Jesus. And she makes the connection that this is Mary's brother. I can tell you, even in your time that you spend at Jesus' feet, there's things that's going to come still into your life that you are going to have to overcome. No matter how much time, the, the, the preparation at Jesus' feet is what helps you and makes you overcome the things that come into your life. So he already, in one and two, he, he pretty much writes the story in one or two. There was a certain man who was sick that did not mean until death. And I, his name means Lord is help. Who has some people that is praying for him that has spent time at Jesus' feet. There's some people in here that has been prayed for. Your grandmamas, your grandpappies, your pastor prays from you has spent time at Jesus' feet. To let you know and to encourage you that this thing that you're going through is not meant to kill you. And as I studied, what, do, what does Mary's name mean in the Greek and the Hebrew? Both of them. And it kind of, because I went and told Pastor Lori, do you know what Mary's name means in the Greek and Hebrew? Because it kind of throwed me for a whirl, because Mary was the mother of Jesus. Mary's name means the rebellion, or to rebel. And it comes from the Greek word mar, which means bitterness. We know when the children of Israel come out and come across the Red Sea, there was Moses and Aaron leading the people in a song. They rejoice. And there was their sister named Miriam, or Mary, with a call, and she shook the tambourine and she and she rejoiced with them and everything. And when they come out, they come to a place called Mara, M-A-R, which was Mary comes, what was the place of bitter waters. So I asked myself, it's like, Lord, why? Why, why does Mary, the mother of Jesus, why? And we know that in the Bible days, names, they didn't just name their kid just to name their kid. They named it because of something they had went through or something, how it happened. And so the name of the kid reflected the, the battle or the thing that they went through or the circumstance that they was going through when the kid was born. So it was by, wasn't by happenstance. So what God reminded me of this, it don't matter. 
Yeah, Mary may come from the root word bitterness and may mean the rebellion, but Jesus' mother was named Mary. We don't know her past. So this tells me that Mary and Martha, Martha's name means the same thing, Mar, M-A-R, bitterness or rebellion. So we have two girls here that probably come from a lifestyle or circumstance, a home that was called a bunch of rebellion and chaos and bitterness, but they found themselves one day. Jesus walked into their house and one of them found herself at the feet of Jesus and one of them found herself serving serving, and they had a brother named Lazarus and he walked into a chaotic home. Chaotic. What I'm telling you this morning is it does not matter your past. It don't matter that their name meant rebellious or, or in the root word come from bitterness. It don't matter what their name meant, but it, what matters is when they fell and seen Jesus, what their life turned into, what they become. They become worshipers. They become servants. They become praisers. Miriam, like I said, she shook the tambourine, and they rejoiced when they come out across the, the, the Red Sea. It don't matter what your past was. I'm telling you. What kind of chaos you came out of? What kind of parents you had? What kind of family you had? That does not matter. Does not matter. I said, did you know that he knows the numbers of your hair? Luke 12 and 7 says he knows the numbers that are on your hair, on your head. And then he goes on to says, fear not. You're more valuable than many sparrows. He says, I know you. I know you. I know your hair that's on your head, so you do not have to fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. You're my most prized possession. You're my most prized creation. You're the only one that can fill that void in relationship that I needed. That is you, and because that is you, I keep up with you. Did you know that he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb? Did you know that he knew that you would mess up? Did you know he knew that you would turn turn your back on him? Did you know that he knew that you would deny him? He looked at Peter and told him, you'll deny me this night. He already knew. Did you know that, that, that he knew that you would be here today and that you would be sick and that you would be in need of some type of healing or some type of touch this morning? He done orchestrated this service from the very, very beginning, knowing that somebody needed touch in their life with Sister Marlene with the roses, saying, God loves you. God loves you. Verse 4. It says, When Jesus heard that, when Jesus heard that he was sick, in verse 3. He says that, whom thou love is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Y'all have heard me say this over the past several weeks. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. The thing that you're going through, the outcome of it is for his glory. For his glory is for him to be glorified in your life and for you to glorify him out for other people to see it. When, when, when a kid, that's now, this is another sermon for another day that I thought I was going to preach this morning. But he said, unless you become as these little children. I, when you give a kid something, a new toy, he loves it. He says, look at this, it's beautiful. And he takes it and he plays with it. But what does he also do? He takes it and shows it to his friends. Look at what my daddy give me. Ain't it beautiful? Ain't it? It's my prized possession. That's what he's talking about. I got so much stuff I want to give you. I'm your father. I keep you. I, you'll go through things, but I'm there for you. I'm your help. But if you can't glorify me in that and say, look what God has done for me, and then take it out and say, look what God has done for me, then why would he want To do something in your life if he's not going to get the glory out of it. Y'all, Lord help me. You know, 
you know, and even my kids sometimes were guilty from, for it too, so I'm sure you're was. When you give them something and they don't, res- don't respect it, throw it down, you think, well, I won't never get you nothing else again. And you unconsider it, don't appreciate the time, the money that I've spent, and you don't even want it. I give you this, you've thrown it down, you've trampled it, you don't want it. Moving on. But it's got to be for his glory. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. What, is, what, what did I get out of that? Is Jesus loved them all. No matter their past. No matter what their past identity was. No matter what had happened. He loved every one of them. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That includes all of us. Every person from the creation until he comes back, he still loves us all. And you're in that and I'm in that. So he loves you and he wants to fulfill his love for you in your life. He loved every one of them. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. He didn't leave anybody out. Let them know that. When he had heard that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Let us go into Judea again. Well, why is that significant? Because in the very next the previous chapter, John chapter 10, it ends with Jesus and them just about getting stoned to death. And so they flee out of that region because they were hunting them down. The Jews were mad at what they were doing and they were hunting him down. And the Bible says they sought to stone him and to kill him. So he said, we've got to go to Judea again. No matter what has happened in the past, Jesus is still going to show up for you. Because you know what the word in the Greek Judea means. It means he shall be praised. What I'm saying, I'm saying it don't matter. The very thing. We know, we know this scripture. And a lot of us know how this story ends. But the very thing, they pick up a stone to try to kill him in, in, in that region. And the very thing that they sought to kill him with later on this this story is the very thing he's going to remove so life can live again. Why? Because he shall be praised. His praise he will not give to another. He will be glorified and he will be praised. So no matter what happened in the past, no matter how many times the devil has sought to kill you, he's still going to show up because he says, I will be praised in every circumstance, in every situation. I'm there because I'll be praised. I'll return to you just so you can give me praise he said we got to go again and to the very place that we were going to get killed and let people know I'm going to be praised I'm going to be there in the midst of your worst times why so that I can get the glory and that I can be praised He said, let us go into Judea again. I'm going to skip down because 8, 9, 10, 11, I don't have enough time to get into all that. Because there's some stuff there. Verse number 11, these things said he. And after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now the Greek word there when Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleepeth again. That Greek word can mean two different meanings. It can mean death, and it can mean to be asleep. But what Jesus is saying here, and we're going to figure this out, when he says, I go, our friend Lazarus is asleep, and he's talking about he's just sleeping, not death. He says that I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Sleep, the Greek, to put to sleep, or it can mean to be dead. Jesus was, Jesus was saying though in the context he was using this word was is that he is not dead. And they did not understand this. Verse 12, then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Then Jesus said in 13, how be it Jesus spoke of his death. 
But they thought that he had been smoking and taking rest in his sleep. But go back. When Jesus said he's sleeping, he meant death. They understand him just to mean sleeping. So he had to tell them very clearly in verse 12. They're saying, Lord, if he's just asleep, then he'll do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest or now. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Like I said, I hope I, I, hope I can present this to you. When Jesus said that our, our friend Lazarus is asleep, it's the same Greek word, but that Greek word can have two different meanings. So Jesus was telling them, our Lazarus, our friend, is dead. They didn't understand that he was using it that way. So they said, well, God, if he's just sleeping, Jesus, then he rests and he does well. And Jesus looks at him and said, you don't understand. He's not resting. He is dead. This is the thing. Because they didn't understand, Lord, help me, what Jesus was speaking to them. They took the word that Jesus meant that he was dead and said, oh, he's doing good, he's well, he's just asleep. So a lot of times in our lives, Jesus speaks to us. And we take that word, Jesus is saying one thing. Jesus is saying here, he's dead. They take that word and say, well, he's doing well, he's just asleep. A lot of times in our life, we take what Jesus said and we turn it into what we want it to say. We turn it into mean, Lord, I know you says this in your word, but I'm going to take it as this way. If he sleep, he shall do well. Jesus spoke of his death. Quit calling your sin good. That's what they were doing. They were death. How does death, how does death happen? The wages of sin is death. So if we take this and look at it another way, Jesus has said he is dead. The sin, the sickness has come upon him and killed him. And, 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 but they looked at him and said, oh, Lord, I'm not taking it that way. I'm, everything is well. Everything is good. Quit calling your sin good when Jesus is saying it's death. Let it die. Let it, let it be a rest. I come that you may have new life and be a new creature in me. I come that all things old have passed away and in new you have me. He's come to that. Quit calling your sin good. Just because you're doing well does not mean you are not sick or dead. Hmm. Just because you're doing well does not mean you're not sick or dead. We heard him in the, in the beginning. We know Lazarus is sick. And now we know Jesus is saying he's dead. But the disciple says he's well. Just because you're doing good. Just because everything is going your way right now. Just because everything in your household is, 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 is merry-go-luckies and rainbows and everything else. Your job's going good. Your relationship's going good. And you're calling everything well does not mean in your heart that you ain't sick or dead. Because Jesus sees the heart. And he knows you are sick and you're calling yourself well because everything's going good in your life. Just because you're doing well does not mean you are not sick or dead. You're not willing to really listen to what the Father is speaking. The reason they didn't get it because they wasn't really willing to listen to what Jesus was saying. He had to make it so plain because they weren't listening. He said two times he's sleeping, meaning he meant death. He had to make it so plain. Listen, guys, you are taking this and turning it into something that I did not say. I'm telling you now, it's dead. It, he is dead. There's nothing, no breath left in him. He is laid flat on the ground. Nothing left. Quit taking something that Jesus is speaking in your life to be dead and, and, and trying to keep it resurrected. And keeping it well. What you have is you've hooked it up to life support. Because you don't want to listen to what Jesus is really saying. You hear him. Oh Lord help me. Some of you have been convicted. About what God has spoken in your life. 
but you don't really want to hear it. He's saying let that thing go, kill it, let it die, separate from it, but you really don't want to hear that. So you take it and you take life support and plug it into something God is trying to kill in your life. Listen to what the Father is speaking. They really didn't want to listen. You're changing the words to say what you want to hear. You're not asleep. And you know you're not asleep this morning. I'm talking to somebody. You know you're not doing well this morning. You've got the facade and... And then the, the face on, if I'm doing well, everything is going good in my life. I look good. I, you, you've got the whole front picture painted good. But listen to me this morning. He knows that you are not doing well. So quit resisting what he is really saying. And listen to what he is saying to you this morning. You're not asleep. You're not doing well. You're not just resting. You're dead in your sin. Jesus plainly tells them in verse 14 that he is dead. Verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Okay, why is that important? Well, everybody knows Thomas as doubting Thomas. And everybody knows his... A lot of y'all probably didn't realize this is really the first time we read that he doubts right here. We know it is when Jesus, after he died, and Thomas says, I won't believe it unless I put my hands in his side and I see his nail scars, nails, the scars in his hand. And we call him Doubting Thomas. Well, here he is again, Thomas, named Didymus, one of the disciples. And he tells him, so, well, when, when Jesus plainly tells him Lazarus is dead, then no doubt in Thomas, voice of sarcasm, this has sarcasm written all over it. Because why didn't they not want to go to Judea? Why didn't they not want to go that way again? Because the last time they were there, they liked to got killed. So when Lazarus has died, Thomas is really thinking there's no reason for us to go. So in sarcasm, he says this, after he figures out to his fellows out, let us go that way that we may just die with him. Well, if he's dead, they tried to kill us last time. If we go, guess what? Let us just all go so we can all die together. Sarcasm in its finest. Thomas was doubting. He had that in his mind. He's like, well, if Lazarus is already dead, if we go, they sought to kill us, then guess what? We're all going to die anyway. A lot of you have a lot of things in your life that you allow Thomas's to speak into and try to make you doubt that you can't overcome it that it can't really live again verse 17 then when Jesus came he found that he had lain then when Jesus came he found that he had lain in the grave four days already Now Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs. We know that the Greek word for Jerusalem means, basically it means double peace. The thing, the death in Bethany is so close. The furlongs there is, is a little under, it's 9,000 feet, there's two furlongs. So it's a little under two miles. It's a little under two miles, 5,280 feet in a mile. I wanted to know that. So two furlongs is 9,000 feet. So from Bethany to Double Peace to Jerusalem was little under two miles. You're that close. The place that you're dying in, you're that close to Double Peace being in your life. You just got to hold on. You're that close to getting what Jesus wants you to have in your life and to walk in the peace and the blessings of who he is. skip down to verse number 23 then saith Jesus unto her thy brother shall rise again and again in the resurrection and Mary in verse 24 saith I know 
unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Mary's hope, and that's, Mary's hope was not in his physical resurrection. Mary's hope was in his, when Jesus comes back and resurrects us all to go to heaven. So I'm telling you here this morning, her, her hope was in the right place. She kind of reminds me there of, 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 of Daniel saying, well, even if, even if, if we don't, Jesus is still going to take care of us before they go into the lion's den, before he, they, he goes there. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But she, that's what she's saying to God, Jesus, I know he's dead. And I know that he'll live again in the resurrection. But I'm telling you there this morning, there's hope even if it don't happen. Mary's hope was, Lord, I know. If you would have been here, you might could have saved him. But my hope is not in that. My hope is in that he will be resurrected with you and live with you in eternity. I'm here to tell you, even if it don't happen, you still have hope. Don't give up. Because the, the, anybody who's in heaven wouldn't want to come back here. We should all be longing to, for that hope to get there. If I become sick and I die, guess what? And God did not, God don't raise me up. My hope is not in this world, it's in Him. That's where my hope lies, and ultimately, that's where your hope lies also. The ultimate end is that your hope and your life in Christ Jesus is your hope to live in eternity with Him. No matter what this world does, no matter what this world says, no matter what sickness you have on this world, as long as you're in hope is the resurrection of the dead in Christ when He calls you home, then I can tell you it don't matter what happens right now because you have a greater hope. And she knew this. She knew this. Your hope should ultimately be in Christ Jesus. That if you things don't go, it does not get, get resurrected. That you will live with him. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we're dead, yet shall he live. And whatsoever liveth, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she says yes unto him. So he's telling, listen, if you believe in me, you ain't never going to die anyway. Something that I, I don't know why I've never thought about it. I reckon because my brain most of the time is a little shallow. When they're talking about, well, Jesus killed him or Jesus allowed this death to happen. Death. Is not a end. Death is not the end. Jesus gives you a choice to live forever, but He gives you two places to choose from. You're going to live forever. A physical death on this earth does not mean you quit living, it means this body, this flesh right here, is dead and put in the ground. So ultimately, Jesus does not allow death. And now he has the keys to death. So now you have a choice of where you'll spend eternity at. So you're not going to die. You're just transferring residency either to hell or to heaven. So you better choose. And you better know where you're going to spend it. Because 80 years on this earth is nothing compared to an eternity of heaven or hell. This is just a little while. Again, a vapor amidst. You don't die. You continue living, but you're going to have some place you've got to choose where you're going to live. Her, her tears and everything, and they see Mary get up in haste and take out, and guess what? They follow her. They follow her. There's people looking at you. There's people following you. There's people seeing how you're going to act in the situation that you're in, how you're going to react in the situation in the end. When you move, their eyes go with you. They follow you. I'm telling you that to tell you this. People are following you. Even the ones who sought to stone Jesus are following you. Mary finds herself again in verse 32 at the feet of Jesus. That's where you have to stay. In every circumstance, in every situation, you have to stay at the feet of Jesus. Verse 34, he says, and, and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 
So Jesus asked a question. Where have you laid him? So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Where do you or when did you start to bury the life that God wanted you to have? Because Jesus has showed up this morning and he's asking you, where did you bury it at? Where did you bury the life that I chose for you? Where did you bury the purpose that I chose for you? Where did you bury the calling that I placed upon your life? One rock at a time, one shovel full of dirt at, the, at a time, one stone at the time, you slowly buried the life that Jesus wanted to have for you, and you have buried it. And he's asking this morning, hey, where did you bury it at? Because you know where you buried it at. Where's it at that all that was sin, that all, where, where is it at that when the sin of the sickness came to kill, steal, and destroy your life? Where did you bury that at? Where did you bury your peace? Where did you bury your joy? Where did you bury your purpose? Where did you bury your calling? Where did you bury your faith? Where did you bury your gifts? Where did you bury your voice? Where did you bury your wisdom? Where did you bury your direction? He's asking you this morning, where did you bury it at? Life happened to you, and slowly you started putting stones on the life that Jesus called you to. And he showed up this morning and is asking a question. Where have you laid him at? Where's he at? And they said, Lord, come and see. Because they knew where he was. You knew. You know this morning where you buried it at. And we have the Jews there in verse 37 again. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? There's the people that's going to stand there and ridicule you and talk about you and say, Yeah, he didn't do it this time. One time he opened blinded eyes, but look, this time you're dead. But in all actuality, you're not dead. He's asking you this morning, Where have you buried yourself at? Verse number 35, it says, Jesus wept. And why did he weep? Because he's looking. He's looking at all you let the devil kill and destroy in your life. He asked, where did you bury him at? Where did you lay him at? And they said, come and see. And then Jesus wept. This morning, Jesus has showed up in this place with all his love and glory. And have asked you a question. Where did you bury it at? And he sees it. And now he's weeping. Because he sees everything that you have allowed the enemy to come in and kill, steal, and destroy. He's seen what you have allowed every rock and every piece of dirt and every shovel full of this world to start burying the thing that he wanted to resurrect and the thing that he called force because Lazarus means God is my help. He was there to help you, but instead you turned your back on him and started burying those things. And now he's weeping because he sees all that you have buried. All the things that you've allowed this world and the enemy to come to, to steal from you. You've buried it. A sickness at the beginning of John chapter 11. A sickness that was not meant to kill you. It was not meant for death. A trial that was not meant for death. A situation that was not meant for death. A storm that was not meant for death. A relationship that was not meant for death, but was meant for the death, not meant for death, but was meant for His glory. He's weeping because everything that you went through, that you allowed the devil to, to use for you to start bearing, he's weeping because he's saying everything, every trial, every situation, every relationship was for my glory, and now you have buried it. You've buried it. Because in the very beginning, the word sickness was not used for death. The very beginning of your trial that you started out with, God says, I'm going to use this for glory. But you turn the word there into something that was not meant to be, and you have buried it yourself. It was not meant for death. 
that situation. You buried yourself unto death. Jesus didn't do it. Jesus was not there when they rolled the stone over Lazarus' grave. You know why they rolled it? Because they said he's dead. Jesus is not the one rolling the stone over your grave or your situation. Even though he's four days late, he's still not the one pushing the stone. Because he says, when I get there, when I return to Judah again, I'll be praised and it'll be for my glory. So I'm not pushing a stone over your life. You push the stone over your life. And how, how do we know that? Well, let's just go to verse number 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. What? A stone is there. Why did you bury it? I said it was not for his death, but for my glory. And in verse number 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Why did he say take away the stone? Because a stone is something that blocks. A stone is a blockage. Okay? And he told them to take it away. He didn't walk up and roll the stone away. He didn't speak to the stone and say, stone, you roll away. He looked at them and said, ye take away the stone because you placed the stone there. I didn't put it there. You're putting things in your life that God did not intend to be there and you've covered things up. And he said, listen, I want to get to the very thing that's inside the grave and the very thing that you have buried, but there's one thing that I cannot do. I cannot move that stone away because you placed that stone there. Quit placing things in your life that are not meant to be there. A stone is a blockage. Many of y'all know I shared my testimony Wednesday night. Tuesday morning I woke up and I was hurting real bad. And my side so bad that I reckon my pain tolerance, I thought it was a million out of ten, but I reckon it might be a three out of ten. I don't know. But I passed out because I was hurting so bad. And I went to, went to the emergency room, got down there, and I knew it was probably with a kidney stone. Never had a kidney stone before. I just heard people say how bad it hurt, and it hurt bad. And so I went, they done the CT, when I got, well, on the way there, I ain't got time for the whole story, on the way there, Lori's driving all crazy, and she's getting her oil out of her purse, she gets it on her hand, slaps me on top of the head, and we start praying on the way there, and it's like, Lord, I'm your kid, and your kid, I know you don't want to be in pain like this, because I don't want to see my kid in pain, so take this pain away, whatever it is, if it's attack of the enemy, so we get down to Mobile Infirmary, the pain eases up, the pain goes away, they do the CT scan, they do the blood work, they do everything. And they, the doctor comes back and says, listen, there's no stones in your kidneys. I don't see any stones in your kidneys or in the tubes or, or anything. He said, now if you had one, you may have already passed it. And I'm thinking there's no way possible I've passed it because I ain't done anything to pass it. He says, well, I don't see anything. So I walk, text Lori, I said, listen, come pick me up. I'm busting out of this place. Jesus has done took care of it. Because a stone is a blockage. Remember that. A stone is a blockage. Physical, mental, spiritual, it's a blockage. It's meant to stop things. We come back, prayer was at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, well, 9.45, 9.50, we pulled in the parking lot, I walked straight in here still in my pajamas, sat down there on the bench there, opened my Bible up, and that's the very, I didn't have this smart, I wouldn't even plan on preaching this this Sunday, I was preaching something else. I opened my Bible so it was not marked for any reason, should it have opened to this other than the power of God, that's the only reason. And I read, opened it, and I read, verse 39. Flipped it open. Jesus said, take away the stone. I said, thank you, Father. So there's no doubt it was a stone. 
And there's no doubt it was meant to hurt me. And there's no doubt it was meant to block me and stop me from going forth and cause pain. But he said, take away the stone. And so I usually, y'all know, I pray and I walk and I walk and I walk. I don't sit down. So I read that while I was sitting down and it's like the Spirit said, well, get up. This ain't the way you normally act. You usually walk. So I walked and prayed. I walked out of that door, walked over, had to go to the bathroom, went to the bathroom. And right when I was, went to the bathroom, right then a stone popped out. Never felt it, never knew it was there. Why? Because, because a stone is meant to block you, to keep you, to hurt you, to not let anything pass, not let God use you, not let things flow through you like they're supposed to. Now, you can take that physically, spiritually, mentally. A stone will stop the flow of the glory of God in your life, and the only person who puts the stone in the way is you. God didn't design this body to tote stones. So if you have kidney stones or you battle with kidney stones, I encourage you to go read John chapter 11 verse 39 and say, Okay, God, I command these stones to leave because they're not of you. They're here to cause me pain and hurt and I'm a child of you. And you don't want to say, I walk in the fullness and the wholeness of the cross that says it's finished for my healing, the stripes. Walk in what he has given you and the authority he has given you. Philip, if you want to come, I'm trying to slow down a little bit. A stone is meant to block. Why did they put a stone upon Jesus' grave? Because they was like, and they put guards out there. It was meant to block him from going anywhere. That's what I'm telling you. Stones can't block him. You're the only one that blocks him. You are. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that he'd give you a new heart and he'd take away the stony heart. So now I'm talking about the heart of stone that some people have allowed the world to turn what once was pliable and what once was God could work with and what once which was on his potter's wheel has now dried up because you have rolled something on over your life and has called you become like stone. Jesus asked them, to remove the stone. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha tells him, Lord, he's dead four days now. And he tells him in verse 40, 40 Jesus said to her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believest, thou should see the glory of God. Verse 41, then they, not Jesus, took away the stone from the place where he was dead and was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me. And I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when thou had spoken, he cried with a voice, a loud voice, saying, Lazarus, come forth. But this is the thing. If the stone's not gone, first, Lazarus don't come forth. God is standing outside of your stony heart this morning. Jesus, his glory, his love, it's already been here. It's already here. But as long as you are in that place where you keep yourself walled up, stoned up, if this morning, when we sing, let it rain, guess what you can't get if you're in a cave? You can't get the rain. You can't get the very thing that gives you the resource. Guess what else you can't give if you're in a cave with a stone rolled over it? You can't get the sun. You can't get the glory of the Lord. So this morning, he's standing there. And he's asking you, Lord, he's asking you, would you take away the stone this morning? Because I cannot call you forth to receive the glory, to receive the sun or the rain as long as you have a stone rolled over your life and over the situation that you are in. If you would stand with me this morning.
Jesus, the glory, the rain, the sun, sets outside. And all that you have let the enemy bury in your life. And he's asking you this morning, will you remove the stone? So I can bring back and revive you again. And I can call you forth out of the grave that they've put you in. That you've put yourself in. Until that stone's removed, Lazarus can't come forth. Until that stone's uh, removed, you'll still be bound. Until the stone's removed, you'll still wear the grave clothes. It all depends on you this morning to remove the stone. Let's just say that the stone didn't get removed and he calls Lazarus forth. And Lazarus comes alive inside of that tomb. Guess what's going to happen to him? He's going to die again. He's going to die again. Because he can't receive the substances that he needs to live. So even if Jesus this morning calls you forth and you come down to this altar and you do not remove the stone, you're eventually going to die again. It all depends on the stone. You've got to remove it. Whatever it looks like, you've got to remove it out of your life. Lord, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I've followed your voice and everything, Jesus. God, but right now the most important thing, Lord, is for us to all be in humble and reverence to your spirit. That we search our hearts and our lives this morning. Lord, and we ask ourselves, God, what is the stone? that I've placed that I've buried myself with that is, a, that is hindering you from flowing in my life for me receiving the glory again the peace again, the joy again the direction again, the wisdom again Lord of who you are and the love for who you are so Lord help us God to look at whatever it may be And roll the stone away, Jesus, because you asked them to take it away. So we have that upon us this morning, God. We've got to remove the stone for you to work. So right now, in the name of Jesus, if that's anybody in this place this morning, you say, Pastor Jared, I've buried myself. I've allowed the enemy to bury myself. And I've secluded myself and locked myself away. And even though you're calling yourself well, Even though you're calling yourself good, that you're in a time of goodness and rest, you know that your heart is a stone. You have blocked the thing and the flow of God in your life. And this morning, He wants to restore that. But you've got to get rid of that stone. If that's you this morning, I want you to come up here. Say, God, take it away. Lord, I give it to you. I remove the stone for you to flow in my life again. Because I'm not well. Because the very thing you're going through is not meant to kill you. But if you put a stone over it, seclude yourself. That's exactly where you'll wind up. That's exactly where you'll wind up. As Philip sings, if that's you this morning, make your way up here. And I will meet you in these altars.